Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Sota, daf mem vav, page 46. But we begin page 46 with a Mishnah that is half on 46 and half on the end of 45, so I'm starting there. Nifteru zikne Yerushalayim. So what happens? We're still talking about the Eglarufa, right? And they're taking the measurement. And we talked already about how in Jerusalem they really didn't do this Eglarufa um, business. So here it says, and they were taking the the measurements, right? The Zikne Yerushalayim, the elders of Jerusalem, would leave. Meaning they just, they would, they would, I guess when there was a question if it was close to Jerusalem, Zikne Ota'ir Mivi'in Bakar and then the elders of the city, which was closest to the dead body, would bring a heifer from their cattle that had never, it had never um, pulled a yoke, meaning the idea is that there's no blemish on this animal. But a blemish would not disqualify it from being, from being this eglarufa, meaning we have other times that we talk about a heifer, specifically the paraduma, when we're talking about the red heifer through which it, the impure become pure and the pure become impure. It's the whole procedure to read the nation of Tumat Meat of the impurity that comes from death in general, right? From the dead bodies in contact with the dead body in general. So the red heifer um, is not supposed to have, it can't have any blemishes, but the Eglarufa doesn't have that stipulation. And then they would bring it down to Eitan, to the stream that is Eitan. And then the question is, what exactly does this mean? So the Mishnah answers at least a bit, and the Gemara talks about it further. Eitan Gemashma'o, it literally means the strong, right? The, the, the word Eitan means strong, and therefore it means uh, a stream that is strong, that has a, a, a good water pressure, right? Meaning a flow that is strong. But what if the stream does not have that powerful flow at that at this time? Um, it will still work. It's still valid. And then they break the neck of the cow um, from behind, and they do this in right? They do this with a, a cleaver. I mean, there's nothing... <laughs> Talk about um, graphic. That is about as graphic as it gets, right? So they break the neck with this cleaver, and then in that place where it had been standing when its neck was broken, you can't you can't do anything there. You the ground itself becomes I don't know if we want to call it hallowed, but it becomes prohibited to work there, to work the land. But you could put stone, cut stone there, or comb flax there. Meaning, it's not that you can never touch it, but you can't use it for for um, I guess for growing anything really. Um, cause I suppose this is the, I don't know, like, I feel like there's something metaphysical going on here that the Gemara doesn't really talk about, but all of the details point to that, right? This idea that this is what the heifer is going to atone. How, how do you bring a, like, why? We don't get the why in the Mishnah. We just get the details of the how. And then, you know, after this process, this procedure, so then the elders would wash their hands in the water that was at that place of the breaking of the neck of the cow, of the heifer, the omrim. And what they would say was, This is a verse from, from Devarim, from Deuteronomy. Our hands did not spill, spill this blood. Our eyes did not see. Right? It's a, it's a statement of absolution through this whole procedure. 
Are you really going to think that the elders of the court are the are murderers or spillers of blood? I suppose literally, right? You know that they have to come forward to say this. There's some words here in the mission that are it's a dispute over the gear so whether it includes below Mazon, below Levia, but the point is. That the statement is not that they were really denying or, or making a statement that they did not spill blood, but what they literally mean, or more more directly, is that the the person who has been killed here did not come to them, or and it's not that they let him leave like you know hands and, and with empty hands that they had no food that they had that he had no accompaniment as they went. Meaning the point is that they're saying that they took care of anything he might have needed before he left their town, their city, and therefore they're not responsible for his death in any way. Not that they didn't spill his blood, but that they didn't um, even put him in a position of having his blood spilled, which, of course, is a, the reason they have to go through this procedure is because he's been killed closest to their city. When the Kohanim themselves say, they say, forgive, you know, they, it's a plea to God to forgive the people um, whom you have redeemed and do not tolerate innocent blood to remain in the midst of the people Israel. Also, from the Torah, direct, a direct quote from Tevarim. Um, they don't actually have to say that the blood will be forgiven for, upon them, meaning it's not directly part of what the, the Kohanim have to say. But rather, Ruach HaKodesh, they get like a, a divine message that tells them, when you do so, when you do this, then the blood is forgiven for you. Meaning the whole process here is the fact that the person has been killed so close to the city fundamentally is treated as an indictment against the level of responsibility from the people in that city. So when they come forward and they break the, the neck of the heifer again, which is this kind of a ritual that I think feels very strange. And then they come forward and they say, we had nothing to do with this, right? They're, they're putting themselves on the line to say, we did all of our social responsibility. We did provide for this person before he left the town, whatever it would be. Um, the implication is then that then, then they are forgiven for whatever potential negligence there was that would lead for a person to be killed. I, I want to note that the premise here of you know anybody being killed not even within the city environs, but outside of it, just close enough to market that it's going to be your city as opposed to some other city, is considered that city's responsibility, meaning the idea that people would be murdered is an anathema to the entire system here. This is, like, it's not okay. I mean, not that a murder would ever be okay, but the idea here is that that there is um, such, such an intolerance for it that there has to be such a, a big show, you know, a big prominent display of the elders going down and even possibly if that would be the judges and the king and whoever might whoever might have been to go say this was not us. Um, I just want to note that the Gemara here says very quickly, you know, very quickly I want to note that the Gemara says that when we're saying that it, it takes a very small piece of this whole um, procedure in the mission and says that when the we say that the, the cow is not going to be disqualified by a blemish we can understand that, says the Gemara, from a Kalvachomer, from the learning from the stronger, right? We've got a weaker and a stronger. 
שנים פוסלת בה, מום פוסל בה, עגלה ששנים פוסלים בה, אין עודין שהם מום פוסל בה. We say, just the, the, in the case of the red heifer, right, the paradoma, which is not disqualified by years, meaning by how old it gets to be, but a blemish would disqualify it. So then for this heifer, this Egla Rufa, where it is disqualified by years, meaning how old it can be, right, it's supposed to happen only in the first year of its life. So then shouldn't we then think that obviously a blemish would disqualify it because it's supposed to be so new and young and fresh, right, that the, that it, you know, if a, if a blemish is going to disqualify the paraduma, how much more so should it disqualify this one? Um, and then the Gemara answers, And so the Gemara says, you would think that from the logic, but the fact is that the paraduma case says explicitly, that it doesn't have a blemish, and therefore we can understand, but so otherwise the Torah would have said, It can't have a moon. It can't have a blemish here either. So I just want to note, like, you know, on the one hand, we're getting into the, the, the Gemara, gets into the nitty gritty of the details about this process. And on the other hand, I think that the process at large, which the Mishnah gives us kind of like whole hog, the, the full story of it is very dramatic and, and very, um, I don't know, like it, it, to me, there's something Im, implicitly psychological here about the need to rid the city of this guilt that they have by saying, you know, we had nothing to do with this, that they can atone for it. Again, this idea that murder, even outside the city limits, is considered, you know, something that should never, ever be taking place. Okay, I, I might be getting like a little bit political here. <laughs> <laughs> but when I when I when I read this, I, I, I think about how really in the United States now, the number one cause of death for children between the ages of two and 18 is now um, gun violence. And I, I, I you just you see here, like how seriously it takes that somebody could have been killed and we don't know how they were murdered. I don't know. It's I, I I'll I'll keep. I'll keep it to myself from now because we don't tend to get very political on this podcast. <laughs> but no, but I think I think even without getting political, me. it's really bothering me. But I think it's exactly right. I think the recognition that violence, right? I mean, here we're talking about somebody where we don't know who the assailant was, right? So it is different from what we're seeing, you know, on the ground nowadays. But I think that the degree of sensitivity to human life and the level of responsibility to prevent the taking of human life is huge here. And I think that political or not, I think that just, it's not the priority. And I, I, I quoted it wrong. I quoted it wrong. It, it's it's 19% of all childhood deaths from age one to 18 from 2021. <laughs> so that was the CD. I mean, I, you just have to think about that. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Anyhow, we'll, we'll move on from there. All right. Um, but, but I think it's telling you the importance of, and, and, you know, even as it, you know, just the, how seriously this was taken, that you could not just have a body that was unaccounted for, like that just wasn't allowed. And, and we'll see how the Gemara in the, in the coming Japan, we'll see how that's actually dealt with, um, you know, did that historically change? But that's that's a coming attraction. Uh, I'm going to read two pieces of the Gemara here. The first is, what is this whole thing about this Eitan Valley? I'm a Rabbi Yochanan ben Shaul. So this is sort of on the bottom, getting to the bottom of Ahmed, uh, of, of Ahmed Olive. 
Why did the Torah say to bring the calf to this valley, right? What, what's the point of going to a valley? So this is what God is saying by doing that. Let something, a calf that is not born fruit from, right? In other words, it, it has an age limit. It has to be a calf. And um, the, and it obviously has not had any children yet. And it should be decapitated at a place that doesn't produce fruit because in a Tan Valley, right? And nothing, it's, it's a hard valley. It doesn't have good soil, so it's not going to bear fruit. It will atone for the murder of one who is not allowed to bear fruit. Now, the Gemara wants to understand what does that mean? What is fruit? Right? So the one thing that would come to mind right away is that does it mean to have children? So then maybe you would say an elderly person, meaning someone who had children or a castrated victim, someone who could never have had children, you wouldn't do Egla Arufa for because they wouldn't have produced, you know, they uh, they could not have produced children. Now, there's two ways to read this thing about the Zakain. Either they already produce children or because they're old, they no longer can produce children. So the Gemara basically says, Ella meets votes. So rarely, what we're talking about is it's the meets votes, right? That the murdered person uh, no longer can do any mitzvot, and that's the fruit that they would have borne. And I, I, I think that's very beautiful because we know there are certain customs around when you go to a cemetery and you're burying someone, you don't wear your seat seat out um, because the idea is like that person can no longer do the mitzvot as well. Um, and so there's a sensitivity here. What this passage is talking about is it's really acknowledging like what's actually lost, like what's the potential that's when a person, when anybody dies, but especially when somebody is murdered. Again, I won't get political, but, you know, <laughs> I, I just like you read this stuff and it's just it's very striking to me. Um, and then one of the things that it talks about is, is that it says is that uh, when it talks about the elder, when the elders say that, see, our hands haven't spilled the blood and our eyes didn't see. And, you know, it basically says, wait, how could it be that the el- we know the elders, right? They didn't spill blood. But the idea was, is that maybe they sent this person off. Uh, without food, and we didn't see him and leave him. We left him without an escort, and that's how he was susceptible to get murdered. And so then the Gemara then goes through a series of passages, I'm not going to read all of it, about the importance of really escorting your guests out. And this is something I think many people have seen in homes, that you're sort of supposed to walk your guest out of your home, and some people go as far as they walk them up or, you know, up a block or something like that. Tanya Abraisa said, Hiya Rabbi Mayor, Mayor Rabbi Mayor would say, we compel a person, right? We force a person to escort his friend from the city. Says, because the reward for filling this mitzvah has no limit to it. Um, and Shenemar. And so here they quote a pasuk. So this is quoting from the beginning of Shoftim, chapter one, uh, uh, verse 24. And this is talking about when the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh captured the city of Beit El. The entrance was was hidden, um, and that you know uh, basically they um, the watchers see this man leaving the city, and they say to him, "Show us the approach to the city, and we'll deal nicely with you." Uktiv, and so then it said it showed them how to get to the city because again the entrance was hidden. Uma chasen asa asu imo. What was the kindness they did with them? They killed the entire city. But that man and his family, they they sent away. Um, and so then the Gemara goes on 
you know, this person received this great notice. It's, it's a not named person also, which is pretty amazing, um, you know, uh, that this person is a name, but because he escorted them and helped them. And so then it, the Gemara goes on to quote, And this man went to the lands of the Chitim and he built a city and it's called Luz. And that's its name until today. And so this is a continuation. This is verse 26 in that same chapter in Shoftim, right? Tanya. And so Abraisa says there, he So this is Luz where they died to Chaylet. And this is Luz, which uh, Sancheir, who was the Assyrian king who exiled the 10 tribes. And part of what he did was when he captured lands, he would like move people around from land to land. So like you lived in Israel, you got moved somewhere different country that he conquered, he would move you somewhere else as a way of sort of uh, displacing the people that he conquered because then it was easier to keep those lands because people don't rebel generally in lands that are not theirs, right? Um, and so Nebuchadnezzar below Hichriba, right? Nebuchadnezzar came and didn't destroy Luz. Even the Melech had no permission to go to that city. So there's a movie to be made in this passage, right? Or a book to be written. (laughs) Rather, the elderly in the city, when their minds became weary, right? In other words, they would go outside the city wall and they would die. I I just found this passage so moving. And there's something about it to contrast it to the way the person whose body is found. Like that is a person who you know, dies a rather a terrible death, his body is left. And then you have this city of Luz is basically rewarded. Um, and, and how did the people die? They, they live a very, very long life. And at some point, they just get tired of living. I think it's acknowledging that nobody really wants to actually live forever. And they somehow just sort of like magically leave the city. And you're really the writer amongst us. I think there's a short story for you to write here. <laughs> Or somebody. I don't know. I don't know how fast I'm coming to that. Somebody, but, I know that our theme is in a few days. I, I'm asking somebody to write something about this. I think that the drama here is real. And I think that it captures the imagination, whether or not we get to read it in a short story. But I'll second that. Yes, anybody who wants to rise to the challenge and, you know, meet us at the at our Zoom next Sunday, right, May 21st, um, is most welcome to provide us with a story of this account. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.